0: What up, guys? Okay, come on now. What up, guys? How you doing? You doing good? It has been a long time, my friends. And the last time I said it was a long time was literally like the last time I was on this stage. So it's been a wild six weeks. Hey, so glad you guys are here. Do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them they look beautiful. And you are so glad that they're here tonight. Now turn to the other neighbor that you so rudely ignored and say, I've been praying that I would sit next to you all week. And God answers prayers. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. What up, Gabby? How you doing? Hey. Hey, listen up, guys. Uh, I got a letter to read from you from none other than Pastor Joel Johnson. If you're new here. Joel is our senior pastor here. Uh, last week, we joined the whole church at Ash Wednesday. And let me tell you, Joel has been bragging about our students ever since so much that he wrote a letter that he wanted you guys to hear. So, so listen closely to this. Students, my friends, wow. There are times when I'm in complete awe of who God is and how he moves. You were present on uh, at Ash Wednesday. You worshiped with joy. You engaged in God's word. You leaned forward. He writes in cursive. I think it's you leaned forward. You leaned forward in repentance or you moved forward in repentance. That's what it is. You moved me to my core. You are a contagious light. I was undone by God's goodness revealed in you. I love you. Come and sit with me for worship service whenever you want to come. Let's lift the roof together. The roof together for God from Joel, guys. Let me tell you, uh, it, it, yeah. I mean, come on, give yourselves a round of applause for real, though. Let me tell you, I. It is rare when you can walk out of a room and say that high school students completely changed the climate. But let me tell you, friends, Ash Wednesday was a better service because you were there. And the way that you worshipped changed the way that people 50 to 60 to 70, from 30 to 50, whatever age it is, the way you guys worshipped changed the way that the whole entire room worshipped. And that's amazing. So again, don't give yourselves a round of applause. Give God a round of applause for everything that he did on Wednesday. That was amazing. So yeah, come join us on Sundays. Joel wants you to sit next to him, and that would be great, because I don't even get to do that. So I'm going to be jealous, but do it, do it. Hey, uh, my name is Matt Velasco. I don't remember if I said that. I am the high school ministry director here at Westwood, and it is my pleasure to be with you guys every single week from here on out, besides next week, because I have bad news. I am going to be in Hawaii, and I am dreading it. Uh, that's a lie, I can't wait, I'm gonna golf. And then someone from the PGA Tour is going to recognize me and they're going to be like, you should come play. And then you're going to be left with Caroline, which would be amazing. And then you'll watch me win the Masters. So if God's plan is good, then that's what will happen. If not, I'll be back in two weeks and God's plan is still good. But uh, you got Kevin Klingbeal coming to teach y'all next week. So don't miss out on that. Bring a friend. He's the man, one of my best friends. You don't want to miss out on that. But something that we say around these parts, if you are new here, is this is home. We say this is home, not because we believe you're going to sleep here, not because you got a bed here, not because this is your literal, physical roof of beds, your, your uh, above your uh, roof above above your head, right? That's how I say, it. not because your roof above your head house, but because it is your your spiritual home. Now, our goal, our dream, my vision, and my hope is that each and every one of you, when you come back from a long vacation, when you come back from six weeks of not having this regularly like we have the past couple of months, would step back into these doors and you would breathe a sigh of relief and say it feels so good to be home. I know for me tonight, it feels so good to be home. And so that's what we say. We say this is home. And if you're new, my hope and my prayer is that you would be able to say this is home also. But tonight, we are starting a brand new series titled Gold from Golgotha. Gold from Golgotha. And those, that, that word, Golgotha, might not mean anything to you. Tonight, we're going to tell you what that is. But before we get into that, I want to tell you something about this series. This series, in 2015, when I was a sophomore in college at Bethel University, go Royals, when I was a sophomore in college, one of my favorite pastors and a man who's been super influential in my life, Levi Lusco out of Fresh Life Church in Montana, he preached this sermon or this sermon series for the first time, and I heard it. Uh, but little did I know, in 1945, a dude by the name of Russell Bradley Jones wrote a book titled Gold from Golgotha. And Pastor Levi Lusco would then adapt that book into a seven-week series. And now here, four years later, we are going to be adapting his series into a four-week series. And we're going to be talking about the crucial and most important sayings that Jesus spoke while on the cross. See, I don't know if you know this, but as a Christian, or as Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life. And then he died on a cross, which most historians say is the worst and most brutal way that you could possibly die. Now Jesus hung on that cross for six hours. For six hours, from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. He hung on that cross. And while he was on that cross, for those six hours, he spoke seven sayings. Seven sayings. Now, I know that that's actually seven hours, but when you do the math, it's six hours according to like, the time. Trust me, it makes sense. Don't get too distracted. Six hours. Take, take my word for it. Six hours. Six hours. Um. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> he hung on the cross for a certain amount of time. Short amount of time. And while he was hanging on the cross, like I said, he, uh, he spoke seven sayings. Shh, listen up. I'm bad at math. I haven't taken a math class in like five years. Okay, come on now. I use a calculator for everything. Actually, I don't even use a calculator. I use Siri, okay? So I'm like actually bad at math. And I don't even know if she's right. So who knows? While he was on that cross for however many hours he was on that cross, he spoke seven sayings. And those seven sayings, most scholars say, are some of the most important things that he said in his life. And we're going to focus in on four of them. And the four sayings that we're going to focus in on are the four sayings that I believe will have the most impact on your lives, not only as followers of Jesus, but as high schoolers. And my hope and my prayer is that you will walk out of these doors in the four weeks to come, and that you will be a better follower of Jesus because of what Jesus has to say to us. Now, a question I want to pose to you is just imagine you were told in nine hours or six hours or whatever it is, you would have to to say your last words. How important would those last words be? And it's with that spirit that we approach these final four sayings that Jesus had on the cross, knowing that what he said was of the utmost importance. Not just to those who were in attendance, but to us 2,000 and some years later. Now Proverbs chapter 25 says this. It says, the right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. And a wise friend's timely reprimand is like a gold ring slipped on your finger. And friends, if timely words and timely reprimand are like gold rings that are slipped on our fingers, then how golden are the timely words of Jesus Christ while on the cross. Thus we get gold from Golgotha. Gold from Golgotha. Now what is Golgotha? Golgotha in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus would have primarily spoken, means the skull. It means the skull. And we know that Jesus was crucified on Golgotha. The Greek word would have been cranios, and the, a lot of people also call it Calvary. Calvary, Cranios, Golgotha all mean the skull. The place where Jesus was crucified. Now, why is it called the skull? Well, let me show you. I had the pleasure of going to Golgotha. Or what most scholars and most historians believe to be Golgotha. Now, how many of you can see the skull in the side of that hill? Can any of you see it? Anyone? Let me see if I can help you. Show the next slide. Now do you see it? Now go back. See it? Okay, go back. Look like a skull? Okay. So we don't know exactly where Jesus was crucified. But what we do know is what the Roman crucifixion was. The Roman crucifixion was the modern day movie theater. You would go with your family, with your friends, and watch people being crucified. It was a public ordeal. Now, I've said to you many a times what the process of crucifixion is, and as brutal and as painful as it is to hear, I'm going to tell you one more time just what exactly is crucifixion. Crucifixion would first begin with a trial. You'd be put on trial, and if you were found guilty, you would begin the crucifixion process. It started with they would strip you down from your clothes, they would beat you, they would spit on you, and they would tie you to a pole. As you you were tied to that pole and put on your knees and hunched over, they would flog you. Now, what a flogging is, is it is not a whipping. A whipping is one large, long leather strand. A flogging usually was a leather strand with eight pieces. And on the end of those eight pieces were glass shards. And it was designed to wrap around your back and literally pull off the flesh. So those who were being flogged before crucifixion literally had the bones of their back exposed. And once they were done flogging you, they would put a cross on your back and say, walk miles up a hill. And so Jesus, as he underwent this trial, was proclaimed guilty for a crime he did not commit. In fact, the religious leaders at the time declared him guilty before they even convinced themselves what he was guilty of. They literally said, he's guilty. Now, what can we do to at least get a legal, illegal trial going? So they lied. They said that he was a leader of a rebellion. They said that he was a false king and that he was proclaiming himself to be king. Now, when Jesus appeared before Pilate, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, that's what you're saying I am. He never once said that he was, yet the reason why he was crucified was because he claimed to be the king of the Jews. It was a lie. So after he was put on trial, he was flogged. After he was flogged and his, back, his bare back was stripped of its flesh, he had a hundred-pound tree, trunk of a tree placed on his back, and he had to walk miles up a hill. Can you go back to that first slide of Golgotha? Now, if you would imagine that he would walk to the top of that hill And then they would lay down the tree that he had just carried up and then they would place another one across it and they would stretch his hands across and they would turn his ankles over each other and they would put a long nail straight through his ankle and they would put a long nail straight through either his palms or his wrist. The Bible tells us it was his palms. And then as he was hanging there, as he was nailed, they would then push the tree up on display for all of Jerusalem to see. See, the reason why many people believe this is actually Golgotha is not just a skull that you can see in its side for some of you, but also because it was a prominent place where the main highway, think Highway 5, went straight by it. And so all those who would go into the city or leave the city or who were within the city had sight of this. So when they walked out their door they could see those being crucified. When they came home from work, they could see those being crucified. It was a public display. And the way that crucifixion works is you would think that you'd die from eternal ble- or internal bleeding, from uh, wounds, from hemorrhaging. You would think that the flogging would be what would kill you, but actually all most crucifixion victims died via drowning in their own fluid in their lungs. And if you didn't die fast enough, what they would actually do is they would come and they would break your legs. The reason why is in order to breathe, you would have to, while slouching over, push up on the nail that is going through your ankle just to get one breath. And it's in that setting where we hear the final words of Jesus. It's in that setting with every breath having to push up on the nail in order to say words. And so, friends, the reality about those who were there in support of Jesus, but also for those who were there in condemnation of Jesus, they had to listen closely to what he had to say. Because I guarantee you the man who had to push up on the nail through his ankle just to get a breath could not speak loudly. And so it's in that spirit when I say that we must lean in over the next four weeks. Because what God has to say to you may not be through me. It may be through a whisper that you have to lean in to hear. And so my prayer as we go into tonight and the three weeks following is that we would be leaned in, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually, or mentally, that we would lean in and listen to what God has to say. Tonight, we are going to be in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, and it says this. When they came to the place called the Skull, when they came to Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus then said his first saying from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we are looking forward to everything that you have in store for us tonight and the following weeks. We, we lean in together as a community. Together as high school ministry, we lean our spirits in and our brains and our ears in to listen to what you have to say, believing that you have a lot to tell us. And Lord, we just ask that this message tonight and the messages following would change us to our core, would move us, Lord, and move us into action to see our schools come to know the love of Jesus. Lord, revival is starting in this generation. And Lord, I pray that revival would start from these walls. And we thank you for that. We pray these things in your name, amen. Amen. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Tonight I'm going to teach a message that I am calling you don't even know. You don't even know because it is in that spirit, the spirit of not even knowing what is happening is the spirit in which many of those who were at the foot of the cross watching Jesus die had see, the reality is that we see in the crucifixion process in Jesus' first statement was that forgiveness would be the purpose of the cross. See, friends, there is a reason why the first thing Jesus spoke when he was on the cross was forgiveness. He proclaimed its purpose over not just those who were there, but also us 2,000 and some years later. Later, See, the thing about crucifixion, like I said, it was a public display. And so there would have been hundreds, maybe even thousands, especially considering Jesus' notoriety, literally at the bottom of that hill. And as they were at the bottom of that hill, what they would do is they would most often, while we look at like the ancient Roman Catholic paintings of the crucifixion, we see thousands or hundreds of people weeping and crying. But the reality is that that was not the case. There might be 10 or 20 people weeping or crying. His mother Mary was certainly there. The disciples were certainly there weeping and crying because they were watching their Savior being crucified. But the majority of people would be there to mock him. You see, we even hear that the thief on his left said to Jesus, if you are actually God, why don't you get down from there and save us also? And so we know, or we can with a very, very, very educated guess, assume that the people, the sea of people at the bottom of the hill would be yelling, liar! False prophet, false king. If you're actually God, get down from there. Ha, you're not, you're weak. What are you doing? I thought you were strong. Where are your friends now? Where's your power now? And for the hours while he was there, there would have been people shouting at him. You are not who you say you are. You are a liar. And it's in that setting When Jesus pushes up on the nail through his ankle and breathes, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it says, we in our sin, we are with those who are yelling up at him. See, we like to think so often that we're the type of Christians who, well, you know, I would have been with Mary crying and being like, Jesus, like, oh, why? And like, oh, I shouldn't We like to think that we would be the Christian that would be next to Mary. For friends, the reality is that we would all be in the crowd. We would all be yelling at Jesus, false prophet, false king, liar. That's who we'd be. We'd be in the crowd that yelled, give me Barabbas. The one who traded spots with Jesus. A murderer who the people of Jerusalem chose over Jesus. Because that's how badly they wanted to see him crucified. It was a public display. And so as Jesus breathes his first word, he says, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And he says that also over us, forgive them for they know not what they do. So what we know from the crucifixion is that we have forgiveness available for us. And that forgiveness is so powerful that it was for you 2,000 and some years ago. Have you ever thought about that? That when Jesus breathes, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. It was sufficient for you. That word, that saying was sufficient for you in 2019. Whether you're at Minnetonka, Chanhassen, Chaska, Waconia, Eden Prairie, Glencoe, whatever school it might be. That that word of forgiveness is sufficient for you. And they didn't even know they needed it. You don't even know. The death, of Je- the death that Jesus died was sufficient for their forgiveness, even while they were laughing at him and he breathed his last. You see, friends, Jesus' death is so powerful that its forgiveness is accounted for you on your behalf, even though you didn't believe See, the forgiveness is so powerful that it is aware of your state of future forgiveness. See, God knew that whether it was 2015 through 2019, maybe tonight, maybe a year ago, whenever you receive forgiveness for the first time, God was aware and that death, that forgiveness that Jesus spoke over those who were mocking him was sufficient for you. What we know about God is that he's concerned with three things, himself, life, and breath. Himself, life, and breath. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by the fact that God is concerned with himself, with life, and with breath? Well, friends, breath equals life. Life equals forgiveness. Forgiveness is only achievable by God. And so if life requires breath and life requires God, then we know that breath, life, and God are intertwined within each other. Now let me show you how we know this. In Ezekiel 37, we see this. Then he said to me, this is Ezekiel, he's a prophet. His job is to speak on behalf of God. And what's happening in this setting is uh, Ezekiel has received this vision, this supernatural vision, where he's looking upon a huge valley and all he sees is dry bones. The language that's used in the Hebrew essentially means extra dead bones. So these bones aren't just skeletons, they're dry bones. So they've been dead for a really long time. They are extra dead. So he's looking over them and he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here, that they may live. And so Ezekiel prophesies as God tells him to. And it says that God's breath entered them. And they came to life. And they didn't just come to life, they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. See, what we see here is that there were dead bones which represent us. Dry bones. That's us before we know Jesus. And what happens is God looks at them, breathes life into them, and as he breathes life into them, they stand up with a mission. You've heard me teach on this passage so many times. It is one of my favorite passages, but it's significant because of the breath. And now some of you might be wondering, well, Matt, I'm not dead. But Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says this. He says that you are dead in your transgressions and sins. And so we know that every single person to ever walk the face of the earth is dead. They are dry bones. Though they have a heartbeat, you are dead in your sin. Your sin keeps you from having flesh. Your sin keeps you from knowing life. And when God enters into you via salvation, he breathes his life into you. So God breathes, and when God breathes, you have life. God, breath, and life are synonymous. And it's with that spirit that God uses his final breath to speak forgiveness over us. Because he is aware that if he is to give you forgiveness, you are to receive his breath. See, God, breath, and life are one and the same. And tonight I'm fully aware that many of you need to receive the breath of God. And we're not a church, we're not a ministry that's going to have you stand up and raise your hands or do anything like that. Because frankly, I don't think you need to. What I do know is that the Bible says that you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if you want this breath, if you want this life, if you want this God who gives you breath and life. Then you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus with his first breath while being crucified, spoke forgiveness over you when you didn't even know you needed it. That's what it takes. That's what it's about. And as KJ comes up, we're going to sing just one more song. We already sang it tonight. But what I love about the breath, what I love about the significance of the breath is that it's something that we give back to God. You know, if you're like, Matt, I, I don't get this whole breath thing, right? I don't, how is God and breath correlated? Something that I think is crazy, and I wish that we taught about this more, is the first name that God ever gave himself. It was Yahweh. Tens of thousands of years ago, to the Jewish people that, that Moses was leading. In fact, Moses was given the name Yahweh uh, while uh, at the burning bush. I think, could be wrong, but I think I'm right. I think I am. But it was given to Moses. And Moses said, Well, God, who are you? Who should I say that I am? Or who should they say that you are? And he said, I am. And then if you look at another translation, it says, I, I am Yahweh. Yahweh. Now everyone say Yahweh. Say Yahweh. Now say it slowly. Yah-weh. Now everyone take a breath in. Take a breath out. Yah-weh. God's very name mimics the action of breathing. See, God's very name that he gave himself was a name that symbolizes Life. It symbolizes breath, Yahweh. It's breath. And so friends, the reality is that the God that we worship, the God that we love, the God that gives us breath and gives us life in and of himself is the very breath of life. The Holy Spirit that enters into the dry bones is Yahweh. It's the <sighs> Yahweh way that's our God He's a God that will forgive you no matter what you've done. He's a God who will forgive you no matter what you did two days ago. He's a God who will forgive you no matter what you will do in two days, no matter what you did five years ago, no matter what you will do in five years, no matter what your sin is or where you are in life, the breath of God, Yahweh, will save you because that forgiveness that he spoke over everyone mocking him is the same forgiveness that he speaks over you tonight. Forgive them for they know not not what you do and so Jesus we are thankful for your presence here tonight for your breath of life and Lord we recognize that there are some of us in here that are standing in that vast army but there are many who are still dry bones And, Lord, we prophesy tonight that that breath, that four winds, that Holy Spirit, the breath of God will come and will breathe life into those dry bones. And they will come and they will stand and they will join this vast army, not just called high school ministry, but called the church. Lord, your name is breath itself. And we are so thankful for that. Lord, we love you.